thank you, Jennifer and Hannah and Chloe, for your music ministry for us and to us this day. You know, during this season in my home in recent years, we have taken the time to decorate with stars, a lot of stars that, that remind us of uh, this moment of history, this time between Christmas and Epiphany, and it reminds us of the coming of the Magi, the wise men, uh, to see Jesus, and more than that, it reminds us of, of how we celebrate Christmas, not just during Advent leading up to the Christmas Day, not just on Christmas morning, but in these days following Christmas, there is still much to rejoice in, because God has come, God has taken on flesh and made his dwelling with us. And he is the light of the world. This is our Sunday, as Steve has uh, informed us before Epiphany. And today we will focus on the traditional passage that's found only in Matthew chapter 2, this particular part of the Christmas history. And in this passage, we will focus ourselves on God's revealing of himself and how his self-revelation is a missionary-oriented activity. That God does that on purpose out of his great goal of, of mission. And out of that, our response is that of worship. That we worship because God has made himself known to you and to me in the coming of Jesus. Let us read together Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. They replied, In Bethlehem, Judea. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be shepherd of my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. God's revelation. God's revelation is related to his mission activity with people on earth. It is indelibly linked because there's no other purpose for God to reveal himself than for him to call you and me to be with him if it's not linked to his mission activity. This whole passage points us to the mission heart of God. 
that God has come into the world with a purpose to call men and women, boys and girls, to follow Him and to incorporate Him into the centerpiece of their life. And it leads the church to mission because God is mission-oriented. God is about drawing people into His love and into His life. These wise men that we often refer to at Christmas time, uh, really the word used in the scriptures, magi, uh, we, we know it's a plural word. Uh, what we think we know about these magi is that they were scholars, they were astrologers, they, they probably worked in governments of foreign countries, probably in places like Persia or, or Babylonia. And they had somehow learned and ascertained that, that God was that something special was happening in this particular place because Jesus, they come to find out, had been born in a particular location, in a particular time of human history and to a particular people. You'll notice they said, we have come to the king of the Jews, to a particular people. And God is somehow communicating and alerting these magi that he has come. They do it through, uh, God does it through something that was very natural and normal for them, and an area of focus for them. And God works through that astronomical uh, observance to communicate and to begin to awaken their understanding that God was moving in the world and that God wants to move in their life. But we know that even though Jesus comes to a particular place, a particular people in a particular time, the Bible tells us in John 3.16, one of the most well-known verses in all the Bible, that God so loved the world that He sent His one and unique only Son into the world, that those who would believe in Him shall never perish, but have forever and lasting life. You see, through a star... God drew the Magi to Jesus and led them all the way. You see, God draws those who are far away from God. God draws them to see and to receive Jesus for themselves. Jason Richards was an inmate convicted for murder. And he talks about the drawing of God through the scripture in his life. He says, I haven't been long in my sentence, his murder sentence, and I was very confused. I was carrying an awful lot of guilt. I was looking for answers. I read a lot. I read Buddhism. I read Islam. I started reading the Bible. And the more I read the scriptures, the more I became aware of God. I didn't believe in God. I was actually an atheist, or at least I thought I was. But I came to believe that God existed. And the more I became aware of God, the more I became aware that I was a sinner. And I got more and more desperate. Then one night, I opened the Bible at the very first psalm. I started reading. And when I got to Psalm 50 and 51, I realized that God would forgive me. I didn't know why Psalm 51 had been written at that time. But the thing I knew was, save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. I knew that God could forgive me. 
I didn't know anything about Jesus or the Bible or the church. I just knew. I read all the rest of the Psalms on my knees. And almost from that point, for me, they became Psalms of praise. It was like I was beginning to worship and I didn't know what worship was. You see, this is what God is doing in the world. God reveals himself in the world to your life so that he can draw you to himself. He can draw you into his love, into his life. This is why the angels, when they show up at the shepherd's field, they, they describe it as good news. I, I come with good news of great joy that will be for all the people. You see, uh, as this man in prison recognized his personal sin, so you and I, in, in being caught up in the mission of God, we begin to recognize our personal sin, sin that separates us from God. It, it, for you, that sin may not be murder, but we all sin, the Bible says, and it all, all of that sin separates us from God. And the only right reality conclusion from God is that it will be eternal death and separation from God. But what God does in his revealing himself, in the coming of Jesus, it's not to condemn us, it's to draw us into his life and his love. And so, as this man did, we, we come to an awareness of our personal sin, we confess that to God, and we turn from it. This is what repentance is all about. Metanoia is the word used in Mark chapter 1. It's a changing of the mind. It's a radical transformation of understanding who I am, who you are before God, and what God has done to draw your heart and your life to him in Jesus. That is what Christmas in good news is all about. It's about an awareness of personal sin, a confessing of that sin and turning from it, and receiving the forgiveness of God that is offered in Jesus, just like this man said. And, and he said in his testimony, he didn't yet know what Psalm 51 was about. Do you remember what it's about? That is the Psalm of David's confessing his sin of adultery with Bathsheba. And he, he prays and pours out his heart of confession to God, turning from that sin and asking God to cleanse his heart again and to make him right with God and right within his community. It is this mission of God that has stirred our church's heart to declare a new mission statement for us. And the statement is that we want to be people and we will be people who are calling Marin County and beyond to live in the fullness of life that Jesus offers. That is our mission so that we might together cooperate with God and what he wants to do right here around us and to continue to participate all the way to the ends of the earth. This is why we continue to participate with our mission partners around the world. We continue to pray for them. We continue to raise money for them in our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And in 2021, this year that we have now stepped into... We are focusing as a church on new ways of engaging in this mission of God to reveal himself to those who today are far from him and to draw those who are far from him to the person of Jesus so that they too, like the Magi, might come and worship. Because worship is our response. Worship is the response of a heart that has been captured 
by the, the, the coming and the goodness and the work and the life and the calling of God in them. Worship teacher, Mike Harlan, he describes worship this way. Uh, one of the more simple definitions I've ever come across in worship. He says, worship is our only reasonable response to God's revelation. Worship is our only reasonable response to God's revelation. Did you notice the word worship is used three times in this passage? When the Magi first show up, they said, we have come to worship him. And then Herod, you know, Herod, we, we know Herod was working his plan, and he thought he would use the, the coming of the Magi, that they would be sent out from him as sort of advanced scouts, and they would uh, report back to him where the, the, the child, this Messiah, had been born, and this one king of the Jews, and he had hoped that they would come back and report to him. But what he says, it, he lies to them, saying that, I, I want you to go so and report back to me so that, what did he say? So that I too may go and worship him. Now we know from uh, the, the story as it continues to unfold after the Magi leave, they do not return to Herod. God shows up to them in a dream and says, you, you shouldn't go back and report to him. Go back to your home, a different route. And Herod's plan is foiled. We, we discover what his plan is later in the passage when he goes to that town and he slaughters the boy babies who are two years old and younger. His desire was not to worship. But the Magi, they had come to worship. In fact, in verse 11, when they, they arrive at the house where, where Mary, it says, and the, and the baby Jesus were there, the Bible says that they bowed down and they worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him these gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You see, this word worship in its original Greek is a word that frequently, in these ancient times, frequently was used to describe the custom when, when, when someone would come in front of somebody of higher position or some a deified personage in their, their understanding, this idea of worship in, in the ancient world was one where they, a person would prostrate themselves on the ground, kissing the feet or the hem of the garment of the person, uh, Persians were known to do this in the presence of their deified king. Greeks, ancient Greeks, would do this before a divinity or something that they considered holy. You see, this idea of worship for the gospel writer Matthew is very important because he talks about worship more than any other gospel writer. Over ten different times, he, he mentions worship in, in different contexts. In, in chapter 14, you remember when Jesus is out uh, walking on the water and, and, and the storm is on the boat and he invites Peter to come walk on the water and Peter takes his eyes off, Jesus begins to sink and Jesus reaches out his hand and he walks into the boat with Peter safely. And you might remember the response, the proper fitting response to this revelation of who Jesus is was one of worship in Matthew chapter 14. We find it in Matthew 28. In the resurrection, after Jesus had been crucified, dead, put in the tomb, three days later, he rises from the dead. And the response, the only fitting response, was one of worship. The people who saw him would get down on their hands 
to knees and, and begin to hug his feet and latch onto him. This was their worship. This is a very important concept for Matthew because worship is our only reasonable response to the revelation of God. And God's greatest revelation is in the coming of himself, is in the coming of Jesus into the world. And so how are we to approach worship? How are we to approach worship? Well, the scripture would tell us in humility. You notice the wise men, these magi, they bow down. And so worship requires humility on the part of the worshiper. Uh, N.T. Wright describes in his book, For All God's Worth, he says, True worship doesn't put on a show or make a fuss. True worship isn't forced. It isn't half-hearted. It doesn't keep looking at its watch. True worship doesn't worry what the person in the next pew may be doing. True worship is open to God, is adoring God, is waiting for God, is trusting God even in the dark. This is what humility of the worshiper allows us to do. So how are you to approach worship? Brother and sister, I would tell you that humility is part of your worship practice because without humility and in its place pride, God will not accept that worship. He wants a worshiper to be humble and to come in humility of heart and in hunger of life. Worship is also more about giving than it is about receiving. So often in churches, we get the idea of worship backwards. We think that I'm to come to worship and I'm to receive. I'm to receive fellowship from other people. I'm to receive a, a good feeling from God. I, I, I'm to receive something. And that's why I, that's what motivates me to come. But that, that is getting worship backwards. You see, biblical worship is about a worshiper coming to give to God primarily. And God is always gracious and good. And God will give. But our orientation to worship is that we come every time into worship in a posture of giving, not of receiving. That is the posture of a true worshiper. You see, sometimes we can approach, it's so easy for us to approach worship like uh, the characters of the Wizard of Oz went to approach the great wizard in the Emerald City. You remember they went, all of them, Dorothy, the Tin Man, the Scarecrow, and so forth, they went out of their out of their desire to get something. Right? One wanted to go home, one wanted a brain, another wanted a heart, and the lion, the cowardly lion, wanted courage. But they show up at the Emerald City not to give anything to the wizard, but they show up to receive. And, and that, that's how often we can approach worship. And I'm telling you, that is a backwards way of thinking about worship, we are to approach God, not like he's the Wizard of Oz, but as the holy, almighty God that he is. And we come into worship humbly. We come into worship bowed in heart, humbled before the living and almighty God. And we come to give him all that we have and all that we are. We come to give God. Our future, we come to give God. Our money, we come to give God. Our time, we come to give God our whole life in service to Him and in His kingdom. This is what true biblical worship is about. 
it's safe to be together in worship. And so, how do we try to come to terms with this season that is continuing, it lingers, of being distanced from one another in our worship? And I realize it's hard. But you know, synagogue worship for the Jewish people, it emerged out of a time when they were separated from their normal practices. They were separated from their normal places. They were carried off to places outside of Jerusalem and the temple. And so they, they forged new ways of worshiping. And so we too, in this season that will not last forever, but in this season, we must come to terms with these opportunities to worship God. Because God has revealed himself to you. And so our only reasonable response is that of worship. So how do we do that effectively at home? How might this year we reset ourselves? And, and if we still have weeks or maybe even months to come without being safely together again in our worship, how do we make the most of our weekly worship gatherings? Well, I would just suggest to you that you, you think about preparing physical space and your heart space. Your physical space and your heart space. You might think about, because I, I know it's easy, you can get out of bed on Sundays and you're just kind of relaxed and chill and maybe it's nice uh, at times to be in your pajamas and not brush your hair because who else is going to see you? I get all of that, but maybe it would be helpful for, for us to, to get up and to get dressed and to have a shower and a shave and, and to approach the moment together with anticipation, the moment of being in the presence of God through this medium and to prepare our bodies and the physical space of our bodies. To, to arrange literally the physical space where you watch and observe the service. If it's around your television or your computer or holding your handheld device in your lap. But arrange your physical space. Maybe there's a candle you want to light. Or uh, you want to set the lighting in, in a particular way. Uh, maybe there's a different place in your home where you would like to maybe set up at different times. But prepare literally your physical Space in anticipation of how you're going to spend this hour of worship this day. Maybe if you have children at home, you would uh, in advance prepare some items for them to doodle on or whatever it might be, some activity things so that they can be with you and you can share these moments together. Preparing your physical space, preparing your heart would also be really important and continue to be important these days. To pray before the service that God might soften you and to prepare you to respond to Him. To prioritize this time of worship, even if it's not convenient, or even if it's not your preferred method. If there's anything we learn from the Magi, it's about taking a long, arduous journey from wherever their homeland was. It wasn't convenient for them to come and find themselves uh, at the, the foot of a crib, with, with the baby Jesus there, the, the king of the Jews in front of them, it was not convenient, but they prioritized it and made it uh, an important facet of their life. And so I would suggest to you that you continue to prioritize the worship of the living God with your church and to make it a regular part of your weekly practice. We cannot get out of that regular weekly practice together. You might think about preparing your heart. Maybe the, the times that you feel like giving financially, maybe you take five minutes before the service and, and you write out your check or however you might pay your tithe and offering and give that to the church and take that and sit with that for a moment and pray over it. 
That God would take, just like He did the fish and the loaves, and, and He would take your offering, whether it's a huge amount or a small amount, that He would take and multiply it for His purposes in His kingdom, and that He might do that through the life of this church. Ask God. Ask God to help you learn more about your lifestyle of worship during this season. What does it mean to actually think about your lifestyle being a worshipful lifestyle? This is one of our new values as a church. Wholehearted worship that leads us increasingly into a lifestyle of worship where every day gets caught up in the realities of focusing on God and centering ourselves in Him. This, these are my encouragements to you. Is that God has revealed Himself at Christmas in the coming of Jesus in the flesh, in His life of teaching and demonstrating the goodness of God, in His death on the cross, His resurrection from the dead, and now His call to you and me to come. And our only right and good response to the revelation of God is to express that in worship. Worship that is humble before Him. Worship that allows us to get down on our knees and to be humble of heart before the Lord. Worship that allows our response to God in, in all things that we present ourselves to Him regularly and we are reminded who we are before the Lord and what He has made of us. Sinners that we may be, but we are rescued and bought at a price Therefore, we are not our own. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Living God, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for your living word. We thank you, God, that you call us to see you. In John chapter 1, a couple of Sundays ago, we, we were reminded that, that we are not, we're not your children just because we have physical birth. But we become your children when we believe in you and have received you into our life. That is when we become born from above, born again. And so we pray this day as, as we, we come again face to face with yourself revealing that our, our response would be one of participating with your mission into the world and out of worship. Because we know that our expression of worship is getting down on our knees in front of our beloved. And our participation and mission is standing on our feet and walking with our beloved into the world that you are recreating for yourself. Guide us in these ways. Help us to worship in spirit and in truth this day, this week, and throughout this year. God, may we be a church that is vibrant in our worship and our missional engagement with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.